Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is God's word. You may be seated. Quick uh, question. How many of you have heard of the book of the story of Jonah before? Anybody? Anybody heard of that? Most people, right? So let me refresh your memory. I've got the Jesus Storybook Bible here, and we're going to read this from the Jesus Storybook Bible because I want to get our hearts around the full text of this uh, from a kid's point of view. Uh, Sometimes that's helpful. Okay, it's called God's Messenger, and this is written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. She's a wonderful Bible storyteller. She says, God had a job for Jonah, but Jonah didn't want it. Go to Nineveh, God said, and tell your worst enemies that I love them. No, said Jonah. Those are bad people doing bad things. Exactly, said God. They have run far away from me. But I can't stop loving them. I will give them a new heart, a new start, and I will forgive them. No, said Jonah. They don't deserve it. I'll run away, Jonah said to himself, far away, so far away that God won't be able to find me. Then I won't have to do what God says. It's a good plan, he said, because as far as he knew, it was a good plan. But of course, it wasn't a good plan at all. It was a silly plan because you can run away from God, but he'll always come and find you. Jonah went ahead with his not so very good plan. One ticket to not Nineveh, please. He said and boarded the boat sailing in the very opposite direction of Nineveh. Well, it wasn't long before a fierce wind blew and the boat started to lurch and pitch and roll and everyone started turning green. Jonah sat bolt upright in his bed. You see, the first thing that went wrong with Jonah's not very good plan was that God sent a big storm after him. The sailors couldn't sail their ship properly. We're sinking, they screamed and started throwing everything overboard, suitcases, food, whatever they could find. But now Jonah knew that the storm was his fault. Throw me in instead, he shouted to the sailors, and the storm will stop. The sailors weren't sure. It is the only way you can be saved, Jonah cried. And so one, two, three, splash. No sooner had Jonah hit the water than the waves grew calm. And the wind died down, and the storm storm stopped. Just then, when Jonah thought it was all over, he was sure he was going to drown. God sent a big fish to rescue him. The fish swallowed Jonah whole with one big gulp. Jonah must have thought he died. It was so dark in there, like a tomb. 
But then he smelled the rotting food and felt the slimy seaweed and knew he wasn't dead. He was in the belly of a fish. Sitting there in the darkness for three whole days, Jonah had plenty of time to think. Pretty soon he realized his plan was, well, (laughs) a very silly plan indeed. He was sorry for running away. He prayed to God from inside the great fish and asked God to forgive him. After three days, the fish spat Jonah safely out onto the sandy beach. Just then, Jonah heard someone calling his name. Go to Nineveh, God said. And this, and this time, Jonah said, yes. He went straight to Nineveh and told everyone God's wonderful message. Even though you've run far away from God, he can't stop loving you. Jonah told them, run to him so he can forgive you. The people of Nineveh listened to Jonah and they started loving God. They learned to do what God said and to stop running away from him, just like Jonah. Many years later, God was going to send another messenger with the same wonderful message. Like Jonah, he would spend three days in utter darkness. But this messenger would be God's own son. He would be called the Word because he himself would be God's message. God's message translated into our language, everything God wanted to say to the whole world in a person. Really, really love reading from that. Um, And, you know, it's really refreshing because I, I probably spend quite a amount of time reading the theologians and the scholars, and I get more from her than I get from them. (laughs) And it's quite simple, isn't it? You hear in the story of Jonah, the story of the Bible. You've run away, but God's come after you because he can't stop loving you. That's the wonderful message of the book of Jonah and a powerful message for us here today. Because chances are there's some runners in here. And I'm not talking about runners like you've been running like eight miles, like you're crazy to do that. Why? You're insane. It's nuts. I start running and I'm like, when can I stop? Is when I immediately start. We should probably do that when we run from God, right? But we often have these things that cause us to run from God. These things God calls us to do that we're unwilling to confront. These places in our heart that we protect because we don't want God to deal with them. And the book of Jonah causes us to deal with these things in light of the radical, relentless pursuit of a loving God. But also the sinful nature of our own hearts being exposed that God might heal them. So today, we're going to look at the book of Jonah, and over the next five weeks, we're going to see how this book is radically confrontational, because Sally Lloyd-Jones does a great job in bringing all the warm and fuzzies of the story for us today, but we would see that the book of Jonah is far more complex because we are far more complex people, but yet it's just as simple as the children's story. God is holy. You're sinful, you've run away from him, but God's not done with you yet. He continues to love you and pursue you. 
So the book of Jonah is confrontational, as I said earlier. It, it, can, it confronts a few ideas, kind of just an opening uh, introduction to the book. It confronts the idea that we can obey God and not truly love him. We see that in Jonah, that Jonah was a prophet. I mean, it follows a different storyline than most of the prophecies of Scripture. Most of the prophecies of Scripture are about the prophecy of God given to the prophet, given to the people, and how they respond. But here, it's how the prophecy of God is given to the prophet and how the prophet responds. He runs away. So it confronts the idea that Jonah or me and you can be obedient without having a transforming, loving relationship with God. The other thing it confronts is the idea that we can be personally holy, but yet not live on mission. We kind of hold these two things separate, that we could love God and be personally holy and pursue God in holiness, but not care about the people that God cares about. Everyone here has differences from the rest of the world. In fact, we're radically different even from one another, and those differences can divide us. Some of you might be Republican. Some of you might be Democrat. Some of you might be a different ethnicity. And all these divisions could divide us, but yet if we're going to divide on the basis of these things, then we're not adequately loving the way God has called us to love. And so the pursuit of holiness is false because we're not holy unless we're loving just as God is loving. And so it confronts this idea. It confronts our hearts and says that we must love our enemies. These are the words of Jesus Christ. It confronts the idea that someone may be too far gone to receive God's grace. Jonah was a rebel who received God's grace, and ironically enough, God used him a rebel as an agent that ministered his grace to rebels who were far from God. It's amazing how God chooses rebels to do the work of his wonderful message in Jesus Christ. Because unless we're confronted with our need of grace, we won't be able to preach it or proclaim it or tell anybody else about it. And it confronts our hearts that says that we are, good, we are the good guys and everybody else is the bad guys and God loves me because I'm one of the good guys. One of the things I love about the scriptures is it's honest about its heroes. It's honest about its heroes. King David, for example, he was the greatest king of Israel. Perhaps the greatest king that has ever lived. But David slept with one of his general's wives, and in order for this general and everyone else not to find out about it, he had the general killed on the front lines of the battlefield. That's King David, who wrote all the Psalms, most of the Psalms. We also see this in the life of many of the other heroes, such as Solomon, King David's son. He was the wisest man who ever lived but he created these unholy alliances with foreign kings and kingdoms that would later doom Israel to failure. Rahab is listed in Hebrews chapter 11, kind of the hero's hall of fame, because she helped deliver the city Jericho to the people of God. Rahab was a prostitute. God used her in a powerful and mighty way. Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land and Moses was a, one, a murderer. Abraham, the father of many nations, was a compulsive liar who sold his wife as a prostitute.
to foreign kings because he was afraid for his life. So he said, here's my wife. (laughs) These are the stories of the scriptures. One of the reasons why I love how the Bible is so honest with that is because we can be honest with ourselves. Because listen, you've got something that has caused you at some point in your life to say God can't use me. To say that God doesn't love me. But I'm telling you, friends, the story of the heroes of scriptures shows that the heroes aren't the heroes, but that God is the hero. And what we need is not a hero on this earth, but God to be our hero. And God has sent the hero, Jesus Christ. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And so as we read the book of Jonah, my prayer is that today, as we leave today, and as we come each and every week, we can make this honest confession that says, I am Jonah. I am Jonah. I am the one who has fleed from God. I'm the one that has run from his call. I'm a traitor just like him. Perhaps the greatest traitor in American history is a guy named Benedict Arnold. Anybody ever heard of him, Benedict Arnold? Benedict Arnold was a uh, colonial wartime hero. He um, was... Uh, Benedict Arnold was known as uh, just a brilliant sergeant or general in the colonial war. And, but he also was a man who got frustrated with the direction that the war was taking in America. He got frustrated with other people advancing through the ranks. He got frustrated with the way the Uh, the way George Washington was leading the war, and he thought that Great Britain was beginning to get the upper hand and that the decline of America was inevitable. General Washington gave him oversight of West Point, strategic location on the Hudson River. And so rather than being conquered by Great Britain and marked a traitor, he wanted to cash his cards out while he could, and he wanted to get the upper hand. So he tried to sell West Point, to Great Britain. Well, his plan was foiled. General Washington found him out, and he had to flee to Great Britain. And he's known today as America's greatest traitor. A one-time patriot and decorated war hero that now is an outcast and a rebel and known throughout all American history as that. But if we're honest with ourselves, we would realize that You know, the story of Scripture brands us the same way, as a traitor. Why? Because if you open the Scriptures, you see that God spoke the earth into being. He created mankind, Adam and Eve, in his likeness, and he gave them a perfect world. And for them, it wasn't good enough. Why? Because it was a world in which God was in control, and they were not. And so when tempted to run from God by eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden at an attempt of gaining control over God, usurping his authority, they said, okay, I'll eat it. They know that God said no. 
But they got to determine what was best for their life. And it was horrible. And the Bible tells us that this is not the only, that wasn't only just happening in Adam and Eve, but it happened in each and every one of us. So when the newborn baby comes out of the womb, they may look sweet and innocent, but they are born with feet that want to run from God. Trust me, I know it, because they are running from me as fast as they can. But in the same way, God has called me to love them with an everlasting and a pursuing love. And so I uh, uh, want to address this. Um, well, well, first off, I'm going to break this down into three points. Number one, God calls, verses one and two. Number two, Jonah runs, verses three. Number, uh, point number three is God pursues, verses four through seven. One, God calls. Two, Jonah runs. Three, God pursues. How enlightening. How amazing. Wow, that is absolutely mind-blowing, Ryan. How did you get that? Well, we're going to find out together. Uh, verses 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for a great evil has come up before me. Uh, the first thing I want to address is this. Um, and, and, it, and it deals with the text, but it also allows us to see that this text is trustworthy and true, is that there's been a lot of confusion. There's been a lot of controversy surrounding the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. It's been in the, in, in the scriptures in general, is that many people have said that this is a not reliable book because it's based out of allegory or fiction, that it's a fictional tale that's meant to prove a point. But I want to tell you that I believe that we should read this as fact, as a historical event that has happened, and I want to give you four reasons why. Number one, Jonah was a real person. We see that in verse one, that he was the son of Amittai, but we also see that Jonah is referenced in 2 Kings as a prophet in chapter 14, verse 25. Again, it lists his father as Amittai, and he prophesied very successfully the favor of the Israelite people to a king who was not falling after God, but even in the midst of the king who was going the other direction, God showed his favor. This made Jonah a pretty popular figure as a prophet. He was experiencing a time of favor and blessing in that. Number two is that Nineveh was a real city. If you were to draw a map and uh, pull out a map, you were to find Nineveh on it, it would be located in Mosul, Iraq. And it was a real place. And it was a great Assyrian city, probably the greatest city in that time period in terms of technical, technological advancement and also the way that people lived. There was up to 130,000 people in that city. In the time this was written, we see the author says that it was 120,000. And so we know that in that time period, this was a massive place and it can be verified historically. Number three is that the New Testament speaks of the book of Jonah not as a parable or allegory, but factual. And the scholar that does it is no, none other than Christ himself. 
One of the ways that we interpret the scripture and whether it's true or not is you have to ask, does the scripture call it true? And so Jonah is verified by the authenticity of Jesus's words from the New Testament. Matthew 12, verses 40 and 41. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with the generation, this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Noda, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Not only does Jesus mention Jonah in a factual way, but Jesus authenticates Jonah as a way to reveal his own authenticity, that he is greater than Jonah. And so when you read the book of Jonah, it might seem like it's just a fairy tale because it seems something that's so miraculous. How could have it ever happened? And I want to submit to you one final reason. This is my own personal one. If you have a hard time believing that a man got swallowed up whole and lived three days in the belly of a giant fish, then you're going to have a hard time believing that someone died on the cross for sin and lived three days in a tomb dead. And on the third day, he was risen again by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to have a hard time believing that God came down in flesh, in human form, was born through a virgin. If you believe that Jesus is your Savior, then you're believing in something far more miraculous than Jonah. In fact, Jonah doesn't even make my top ten list of miracles in the scriptures. It is powerful. It is a miracle. But it is not unprecedented. And God uses us to get our attention so that our minds would be focused on the work of Christ, finally. And so that is where I want to leave us in terms of this book. And I want to say that God calls Jonah, but he also calls each and every one of us. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Came to Jonah. How many of us would just love it if God just with an audible voice says, Ryan, you're being an idiot right now, <laughs> right? Maybe we wouldn't want to like him say we're being an idiot. It's like, you're doing amazing. Great, thank you, God. I'm doing amazing. That's not God. It's something else. How many of us would just love that? And we think, man, God hasn't called me. Like, I, don't, I haven't heard that audible voice. People talk to me about calling, and mine doesn't sound like that. I want to tell you that God does speak, and he speaks right here through his word. Every one of us. In fact, anything that you hear in some way that's outside of this, if this doesn't ver verify it, that's not true. And so God speaks to us through his word. He calls us. And so today you would say, I'm not called like Jonah. Yes, you are. The scripture calls us to be conformed to the image of Christ through the word of God, right? If you're a husband or a father in here, you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You are supposed to be self-sacrificing for your kids. That's Ephesians 5 and 6. You are called to pursue holiness as God is holy, each and every one of us. There are things that God has called us to that we must recognize and that we, like Jonah, have fleed from that call, have run from that call. 
And God, in his gracious love, has shown us through his word that he is speaking. A pastor named Anthony Carter, he's a preacher in Atlanta, he says, too many of us are searching around for the will of God as if it were some ever-elusive magical formula. And because we're unable to discern what God's will is, we are content to live in disobedience. We spend our time chasing after and hoping for a word from God. Unfortunately, what we fail to do is look into the word of God. Like Jonah, if you would look into the word of God, you would find the will of God. God's will was clear because God's word was clear. It was that way to Jonah. It is that way to us. Do you want to know the will of God? It's clear if you go to the word of God. It's clear. So let's be honest with ourselves and say we don't need the audible voice of God. And if God gives it to you, great, great. I am so glad. But if God doesn't give it to you, you have it in the scriptures that you would be obedient to his will, that your heart would be held captive to it, that it would conform you more and more into the image of God's son, Jesus Christ. Second thing we see here is Jonah runs. Jonah flees. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Um, forgive me for that. Tarshish. Uh, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So God says to Jonah, arise, and Jonah rose, but he went the other way. Now, if I were to, to show you a map of where Tarshish was and where Nineveh was, they would be in the complete opposite direction by about 2,500 plus miles they were massively in the different direction. I told you earlier, Nineveh was in the place of Mosul, Iraq today. Tarshish was Spain. Now, I'd much rather go to Spain, so how can you blame uh, Jonah for that, right? I would much rather eat paella on the beach. That sounds really good. And maybe Jonah was thinking, God, man, the people of Tarshish, they need Jesus too, right? I'm gonna get one of those overwater bungalows in Fiji and start a church out there. They need Jesus too, don't you know? So let's go and start something over there. But the difference is, is that God hasn't called him to that. And so he could be partially obedient to God by doing the, God, the, the things that God says, but without the specific direction, it's full disobedience. And so Jonah may have rationalized it in his mind in some way, but when he fleed the word of the Lord, he fleed the presence of the Lord, which meant, which meant he was fleeing God himself. Rather than rise to Nineveh, Jonah rose and went to Tarshish. Another reason why I think Jonah wouldn't want to go to Nineveh because Nineveh was filled with bad people doing very bad things. They were the enemy of the Jews. It was kind of like, if you've seen Batman, it was kind of like Gotham City. It was a great city filled with great sin. And Nineveh was a place that was a great city filled with great sin. Not only was it a city filled with great sin, but the great sin was in particular against the people of God. 
They had pillaged and plundered the northern kingdom of Israel. And the Assyrians were the worst of the worst. They would skin their enemies alive. They would place parts of their body over the conquered areas to say, don't mess with us, Jews. We are the Assyrians. Don't play with us. And here God was saying to Jonah to go to them, to love his enemies. I don't want God to love my enemies. I don't want to love my enemies myself. And so could you blame Jonah for not going to Nineveh? He could have lost his life, but also why would he want those Assyrians to repent? One historian declares it this way. He says, the Assyrians were the Nazi stormtroopers of the ancient world. They were the pitiless, power-crazed foe. They showed no quarter in battle, uprooting entire peoples in their fury for conquest. They extinguished the northern kingdom of Israel. For Jonah, Nineveh was no ordinary city. It carried doom-laden, tragic memories. It stood as a symbol of evil incarnate. For Jonah, this was personal, and he wasn't going to go. Now, how many of you have struggled to share God's grace with your enemies? You don't have to raise your hand. I know you have, because I have. I remember a couple years ago, I moved to downtown Orlando. I met my new neighbor. When I first met him, he seemed like a nice guy. Later on, he became a terror. (laughs) I had to go into the court and get, get a restraining order against him. And I would drive home and I would just say every curse word under my breath that I could possibly utter. You don't want to know him, okay? You don't don't want to know him. Because I would think that this man was the epitome of evil. And you know one of the hardest things for me to do was look at him in the face and smile. And let him know at times that God was praying for him. Without a Jesus juke, you know, in the middle of it. And God's, you know, I'm praying for you to be damned to hell right? But to really pray for him. And there are times today where I'll pull in my driveway uh, in front of my house, and, and I'll remember these encounters that I had with him, and I'll be filled with animosity towards him. But it's the grace of God that reminds me to pray for him. And thank God he's not my neighbor anymore. <laughs> thank God. But you know what? While he was my neighbor, he was my neighbor. And God loves your neighbor. And so as far as Nineveh seems from Tarshish and as far as you have to run, you've got people like the Ninevites all around you that God is calling you to pursue. Part of what is the absolute foolishness of Jonah is that he thought he could flee from God. When my kids were small, we used to play hide-and-go-seek, and it was hilarious because the kids thought that they could hide from us, right? They were three years old, and they're, you know, trying to find that perfect hiding space, and it's like behind a wall, and you're walking around, and you, you know, you sit sit there, and you look in the eye, and they think they're invisible. They think you can't see them, and you're like, I'm looking for Camden, Camden, where are you? And he starts giggling, and finally he says, I got you, and I saw him the whole time. But this is the way we are. We think that we could flee from God. Adam and Eve, they hid behind a tree that God created. How could God not find them? And Jonah is out in the middle of the ocean thinking that God won't find him there when God is the one who made that ocean. And so who are we to think that we could flee after a God who is present everywhere? 
Psalm 139 verse 7 says, Where shall I go to flee from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. You know, we're tempted to think that I've not fleed like Jonah. Here I am. God knows where I'm at. But we hide like the kids. We hide thinking that somehow God won't find us. And sometimes where we hide is in the church. We hide behind our religion. We think, man, because I'm in church, I'm good enough. Because I'm in church, God doesn't have to come after me. But we hide even behind our good works. While the bad guys are next to us and God wants us to reach after them. Why? Because we're bad guys whom God has reached out after. Sometimes we hide behind these comforts like pornography. We just want to escape and so we want to go to something comfortable and convenient, something that gives us a quick payoff. And so we go after this thing and what we do is we hide from God when those pain points in our life that cause us to want comfort in things that are sinful our reason for us to be on our knees and say, God, help me. Because the problem is not what we do. The problem is what comes from our heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And God is not concerned mostly about our character. He's more mostly about our actions. He's concerned mostly about our character, about our hearts. We hide behind busyness. If you were to pull out your planner and God said, go to Nineveh, you're going to say, can we do that in a few years? <laughs> I'm too busy right now, God. You can't send me anywhere. Because we're like Adam and Eve. We want to call the shots. We want to play by our rules. We want God to come into our life and to play our game rather than us realizing that God is sovereign over all and we belong to him. We hide behind familiar comforts like gluttony or isolation. You know, sometimes one of the things that I could do when I feel the weight of my own sin is I turn to created things rather than the creator. And oftentimes it takes the form of gluttony. I just overeat for comfort. That's a problem. And I need to seek God's help and grace in that. What's yours? What's yours that God is calling you to himself in and to stop hiding behind? We're experts at hiding but one of the things that God is calling us to be expert in is repenting. Because repentance says, first thing, I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert. The only thing that we should be good at, church, is realizing that we can't do it and we need someone who can. And repenting is turning away from and turning towards the one whom we need. Rather than turning towards the one whom Jonah needed, he turned away from him and he ran to Tarshish. Jonah paid the fare to Tarshish, but he also paid the price of running. Because while Jonah ran away, God pursued. When you run away, or when I run away, or anybody runs away, God's got three options, really. I don't want to put God in a box here, but I could only find out these three options. Number one, he could let you go. The story doesn't end with Jonah went to Tarshish and lived happily ever after, does it? <laughs> he could just let you go. Number two is he could punish you. 
And you'll feel his wrath and anger because you have turned away from him. Or number three, he finds you. He pursues you. And that's exactly what God did. He pursued after Jonah with a storm. With a storm. So many times we think the storms come from Satan, don't we? Man, why did Satan send this storm over me? He's attacking me. Sometimes God sends the storms so you would turn to him. And God sends the storm so that we would recognize that he is the creator of all. And God, with incredible precision, like an Olympian throwing a javelin trying to reach its desired location, God hurled a storm and it did not miss its mark. God was sovereign and God was determined not to let Jonah flee from him because God loved him more than that. You know, the end of the story of God ignoring Jonah would have been Jonah's death. It would have been Jonah's punishment. It would have been Jonah's hell. The grace of God is that God hurled the storm and Jonah was forced to deal with his rebellious heart. And this is the grace of God to us in the midst of our storms, is that sometimes God sends those storms with the precision of an Olympic javelin thrower, hurler, whatever you call them. He throws that storm our way in order to cause us to see that he is the one who sent it. And it says, pay attention. And so Jonah's on this ship, man, and he is down. The scripture says he went down into the galley, he went down to bed, and he was trying to go to sleep, right, in the middle of the storm. I kind of think Jonah was there and he knew it. He knew it, and he wanted to somehow fall asleep and wake up in Tarshish and think that it was a bad dream. But, you know, he's on the ship with the deadliest catch crew. These guys are rough and tumble. They are the best of the best sailors. They're throwing over all their profits, all their goods, and they're crying out to the gods, any god that would listen to them. And they go down to Jonah, and they say, get up, call on your god. Maybe he'll listen. It seemed like they were more Christian than the Christian. <laughs> they were more the pastor than the pastor. And then Jonah knew it. He knew it. They cast lots to see which among them was the one. It's funny how the lots that are cast by the pagan are predetermined by the God who created them. And then Jonah was found out. And even then they wanted to avoid throwing him overboard. But the tempestuous storm got more tempestuous. And they, one, two, three, hurled him over. They prayed, God, don't let this man's innocent blood come upon us. Well, he wasn't innocent. And then out of the deep, he appoints a fish. God appointed a fish. You read that a little bit later. He appointed a fish for crying out loud. And the fish goes, and swallowed up Jonah whole. Amazing. Absolutely Amazing. You think that the story is about going to preach to the Ninevites, but the story is really about the Ninevites preaching to Jonah. If the story is really about the sailors preaching to Jonah, because that day the sailors make a vow to God to follow him and to worship and to serve him. And we see a little bit later that the Ninevites repent. 
But we also see that Jonah was never happy. That Jonah was never happy. And in fact, the irony of the story is it ends at that, Jonah's dissatisfaction. We're going to get into this more and more. Because I want, I, I bring that to bear because I want you to see that sometimes, even in our hearts of hearts, we think that we can be made happy here in and of our lives only to be left disappointed because we're looking for something beyond Christ to fulfill us. And Jonah was in that place where he was looking for something beyond the God, beyond the creator of the universe to bring fulfillment. And this great storm that the Lord hurled upon the sea was an obvious call to action for Jonah to see his need of grace. And I pray that that's true for us here today. Maybe today you've run from God. Maybe today you're Jonah. And I would, I'd be willing to say as I was dealing with this passage this week, man, there's lots of places in my life where I can say this with all honesty, I'm Jonah. I struggle to love my enemies. There are places where God is calling to me for me to respond by faith and I'm responding in fear. There are difficult circumstances and people that God is calling me to confront and I'm cowering behind religion. God is calling us to respond with faith and not fear. Elise Fitzpatrick says that these times of life, these times of failure, like Jonah have experienced, are very necessary. In fact, she says, knowledge of our need for grace flows through failure. Knowledge of our need for grace flows through failure. You've got to go through failure in order to see that you need grace. Because failure points us to the fact that we can't do it and only God can which is why the words of Jesus about Jonah are true. Because the world didn't need Jonah. The world needed Jesus. The Ninevites didn't need Jonah. The Ninevites needed Jesus. Jonah needed Jesus. Because there is one who would come that would spend three days in a tomb, like the tomb of the fish, only completely dead with life out of his body. And after three days, God would quicken life to his soul. And there is one who would throw himself overboard for those who were on the ship so that they would be saved. Voluntarily, not running from God, so that we would find mercy and grace in our time of need. Maybe today you're sinking down like Jonah was. Jonah was sinking down when he went down to the galley of the ship. He was sinking down when he decided he wanted to sleep it off instead of lie awake to the reality of what he did in fleeing. Jonah was sinking down when they threw him overboard, and he was down in the depths of the water. There's a hymn that says, when I was sinking down, sinking down, sinking down, when I was sinking down, sinking down. But then the hymn says, when I was sinking down beneath God's righteous frown, Christ laid aside his crown for my soul, for my soul. Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. That the God of heaven who came after Noah 
or Jonah through the storm is the God of heaven who came after us through the person Jesus, his son. The real message of salvation, as Sally Lloyd-Jones says, in a person, in our language. When I was sinking down, he laid aside his crown for my soul. That's the story of Jonah, that God did this. Colossians 1.21 says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Here's why he did it. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. When you were enemies of God, when you were running the other direction, when you were hiding from God, God had a plan. And his plan wasn't to run the other direction. His plan was to run to you. And in his body and flesh, through death, he declared you holy and blameless, above reproach before him. This is the work of the better Jonah. Christ that we celebrate. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you're at work in our church, that you're at work in our lives, and that God, even in the midst of our fleeing, you pursue after us. Father, I pray for those who are in a storm right now. And I ask God that in that storm, Lord, they might find that you're pursuing after them. God, I, I pray for those who are fleeing that don't know it, that you might send the storm so that the storm might reveal their need of grace. Father, I pray that we would see the words of Elise Fitzpatrick as true, that our failures expose our need for grace, and without them, we wouldn't be whole or find healing. So we thank you, Lord, that you show us our sin our failures and our shortcomings, not to harm us, but to heal us through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we say together, amen.